The scripture reading, as Jared mentioned, for this morning is from Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity, it is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in dark darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years yet over, yet, he, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to the one place. All the toil of man is, his, is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And for what does the poor man have over uh, have knows how to conduct himself before the living. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity, a striving after the wind. Whoever has come, uh, whoever has come to be, has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with the one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what good for man while he lives a few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell what will be after him under the sun? Thanks be to God. Good morning. Yeah, there we go. Um, welcome to Restoration Southside. My name is Ben. <clears throat> I'm on staff here. And I'm also here to tell you that if you need to use the restroom, there are some folks over there who are bathroom bouncers who will um, let you in. Um, so feel free to use that if you need to this morning. We're glad that you're here with us uh, in your cars uh, as we um, worship together and look at God's word. Um, and one thing I do want to bring to your attention to is an uh, announcement, a, a PSA. Uh, and it is that it is, um, I will die. I'm not going to die uh, the next 20 minutes or so, um, fingers crossed. Uh, but other hard news is you will too, maybe not in the next 20 minutes or so because of a heat stroke, but uh, you will die, I will die, right? Sobering words uh, to bring to you on a Sunday morning. Um, these are the words that the writer of Ecclesiastes is reminding us. Uh, there is uh, this one thing we can't quite escape, we haven't quite figured out yet, and that is death. Uh, in all types of cultures, there has been um, types of renditions of something called memento more. And one of these renditions is seen in the Roman culture. Uh, when Roman generals would win in battle, they would come back to their hometown, and as they come back, there's a parade waiting for them. And the general of the army would, in his chariot, uh, would walk down uh, the uh, center of the town, 
and all the people are praising and celebrating. And if you look closely in that time, there's someone behind the general, and it's the general's aide. And the general's aide was talking into the ear of the general, saying two words, memento more, memento more. And what memento more means is this, you are mortal, you will die. Amidst this, the celebration of victory, you, you're, you are the winner. The small reminder of death is something you can never escape. And so this morning, Ecclesiastes is telling us something very, very similar. And it's not to depress us uh, in the life that we live, but it's actually to free us and to prioritize and see the beauty in the life that we have. Memento more. And this morning, we'll look at two things as we look at Ecclesiastes 6, 1 through 12. If you'd like, open your Bibles or your smartphones to Ecclesiastes 6, 1 through 12. We'll see two things. First, uh, we'll look at interrogating death. And second, we'll look at the beauty of brevity. Uh, as we see that actually, when we do meet death, there is life and more life than we've ever known. And that's the beautiful thing of this Christian hope that we have. And so let me pray for us as we look at Ecclesiastes 6. Lord, we have um, scars because of the wounds that have been healed, and we have uh, wounds that have yet to become scars, and we have uh, flesh that uh, is yet to become wounds. And so wherever we are this morning, King Jesus, speak to us, be with us, meet us with a balm and with a hope that says, my life and worth are more than the things that I'm bearing right this moment. We pray this because your cross is true and we long to know that more and more. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So first, interrogating death interrogating death. Solomon has just finished chapter 5 and said, here's how you have joy. Here's what's good. To, to enjoy the lot we have been given, the L-O-T, the lot. And then he goes on to talk about death, to remind us. And he says uh, in verses 1, 2, and 12, there's a lot going on here, but I want to focus on these three verses, 1, 2, and 12 of Ecclesiastes 6. It says, there is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. For who knows what is good for a man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For, he, for who can tell man what will be after him under uh, the sun. He's saying uh, the stuff of our life may not be enjoyed by us, but by others. And it's not because uh, like children, someone takes the things that we have and it has it for themselves. He's pointing out the fact that we can't enjoy the things of our life because death has something to say about that. And in verse 12, he talks about actually how can we even enjoy life when we know that this death Thing is awaiting us, right? How can we even have joy now when we know there's something inescapable coming? Right, the things of our life, the things, the stuff that makes up our being, it, it will become heirlooms, won't it? Whether they're wanted or not wanted. 
And if they're not heirlooms, they're just going to be sold at estate sales to some stranger. In our lives, too. I've been the pallbearer of many funerals, some of people who've had full lives, grandparents who lived many, many, many decades. Others who it seems like their life was just starting, like a best friend of mine in high school. And if anything I've learned in those two extremes is this, is that just as life is heavy with our stuff, death is heavy, right? The weight of a casket speaks volume. And Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, is saying to us, death shouldn't sit well with us. We can't escape it, but all along, it doesn't sit well with him. It doesn't sit well with us. And the hope of the Christian faith is that it doesn't sit well with Jesus. Right? Jesus has something to say about this death thing. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes and is speaking to the Corinthian church and trying to give them hope. And here's the type of hope he gives them in, in 1 Corinthians 15. I know it's hard to be read to, but, but it says at the very end, it says, For the perishable of this life, the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortal. When the perishable has clothed itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortal, then the saying that is written will become true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is writing and saying, when we frame the immortal and, and the, the imperishable, and those speak into our life now, that's when life is lived well. So said another way, we have an invitation to interrogate the things that plague us now. And because of who Christ is and what he's done, we have the invitation, actually the right, the beautiful privilege to interrogate death now. Now, it, that's the capital D, death. So when we are at funerals, we have the privilege and the right because of who Christ is to say to death, death. This person doesn't belong to you. They belong to Jesus. Death, you don't get the last word, but also it goes to the smaller things, the smaller fruitions, right? It goes to things like cancer. And it says of cancer, you are a great malady, but you don't have the last word. You won't win the day. It says that things like strained relationship, the strain is strong, but Christ died for flourishing, actually. It says to teachers who are going back to school, who was having much required of them, this isn't how it's supposed to be, right? We have the privilege to interrogate the things that plague us to a society that it seems like polarization is the norm. We have the right to say we are able to speak life in a way that people are endowed with dignity, not with division. Solomon is saying to us, Jesus is saying to us, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is saying to us, we have the right and the beautiful privilege to interrogate the things that plague us. That actually when we interrogate the things that plague us, the, the death that plagues us, we actively participate in who Christ is 
and who he longs for us to be. When we interrogate the things, because we say to those things, Christ, you are reigning over them right now. It seems like they're true. And it's, they do sting in this moment. But I believe, Christ, you have the final word. So my offer to you, an invitation to you, is to say, what questions do you need to ask of the hardships and the anxieties and the burdens and the scars and the wounds and the brokenness of your life? Where do you need to ask questions of those things that says, in light of who Christ is, you don't have the last word? You don't have the last word. The interrogation of death. And second, the beauty and brevity. Ecclesiastes is telling us um, uh, something very soberly. Right? They say things, you think, uh, this, is, this can't be in the Bible, but actually it's having a sober look at life. And in this sober look of life, it's not telling us to, uh, to, to live life a certain way. It's actually saying you have the freedom to stop reliving the past because you can't change it. And you have the freedom to not uh, fret over the future because you can't control it. It's actually giving us the freedom of saying you can't escape one thing and you can be sure of one thing. It's that death will meet you one day. For every person, right? For every one life, there is one death. Is there not? And it's saying you can actually use death in such a beautiful way that gives us a perspective that brings utter redemption. Jesus doesn't just address death. He addresses a life that's offered to us. That we know whatever we experience in this life, there is more hope, there is more beauty. There is a beauty in brevity, but how is there beauty in a brief life, right? A, a, a life of brevity, shortness, that we know we're going to die. How is there beauty in that? How is there beauty in something like that? And it's this, that your short life is in no mistake placed in the scope of history and in even the grander scope of eternity. That there is no mistake of your placement. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, right earlier on in the book, Solomon writes this, he, saying God, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Eternity has been set in my heart and in your heart, in the heart of everyone we encounter, in such a redemptive way, not so that we're all plagued for death, but in such a redemptive way that God can make beautiful things in its own time. Be everything beautiful in its own time. This week I heard a pastor, a pretty relevant person in, in uh, our culture say, uh, he was reading Jeremiah 1. And in the beginning of Jeremiah 1, it says, God says to Jeremiah in the opening verses, he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Before Jeremiah was born, God had such a plan to accomplish the very things that God wanted to accomplish with this very person. There is a great temptation to think that's just Bible stuff. Right? That's for when God was writing the Bible and accomplishing all these things. And that's totally, completely divorced from our current modern situation. 
And yet I would offer you this very moment, the God of the Bible, the God of Jeremiah, of Solomon, of Paul, is the same God of us today. And the reason that's beautiful is because in our, uh, in our brief moment of, of, of life, the brevity of life is beautiful because there is deep meaning in that God, just like he did with Jeremiah, says to you, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Now, those aren't just the words for an Old Testament prophet, but actually words for you today. There is beauty and brevity because there is meaning in all things. That you're here in Chattanooga for a reason, that you have the, the, the home and the friends and the, the job, all for a reason. And maybe for a reason you have the lack thereof, all of those things, that there's no mistake, that there's purpose in the very thing that makes up your life. And, and when we say and look at a world that seems like it's filled with chaos, because it does seem that way, when we say it's filled with chaos and there's no purpose, very quickly we can assign the chaos of this life with no purpose. And when there's no purpose, very quickly there can be no beauty of the world and the life that we're living now. And so what I would offer you this very day is that the brevity of life isn't something to scare us. The inescapability of death doesn't scare us. It shouldn't scare us. Because there is beauty in the brevity of life because of the fact that God says, I will not let the things that plague you be the, have the final word. And at the same time, I'm going to not just deal with death, but I'm going to deal with life and offer it. That there's purpose in who you are and whose you are and where you are and why you're there. There's purpose in all of those things that make up our life. Um, one of the greatest things that my father-in-law taught me was this. He didn't just teach me, he, he said it to others too. But he said, uh, when he dies, he wants his step to eternal life to be a step that is so small. Right? So he's saying this. He's saying, I want the congruency of my life now to be so congruent, so alike, so prepared for the life to come that the step that I make isn't a chasm to jump over, but it's just the smallest ushering in because of the congruence of I know what life should look like. And what I would offer you in this very last moment is this. The only way that step can be small from this life when we meet death, which we will, to the life to come is to know that Jesus has not just paid your fire insurance of the life to come, though he, he has dealt with death. But that same Jesus has the same power to say, death won't have the last word. In the biggest sense and in the smallest of sense, that brokenness won't win the day. And actually, he's made you for a most beautiful reason. That just like Jeremiah, before you were born, you were set apart for such a reason to accomplish something so beautiful. Our lives are not meant to be mundane ever. Christianity and mundane living do not go hand in hand. What I'll offer you today is that Jesus has something to say to your current situation that says, I have made you for such a beautiful thing. And we can walk this road together. Even as you walk towards death, 
the death that I've paid for, and the life that you will feel. And in that walking towards death, the step will be small. Because my cross is true. Let's pray. Lord, uh, meet us where we are in our, in our sweat. Uh, meet us where we are in our fatigue of quarantine. Meet us where we are, Lord, in our confusion of uh, tra- the trajectory of our current place. Meet us because you can and because you promised you will. And even the brevity of life, may the words of your cross be true as you offer us life, not just in the future, but right now, that are purpose-filled and that are beautiful and speak words of life to a world that seems like it's decaying and they're beautiful. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.